Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I'm going to be talking to Blythe Gill. He is the founder of a company called Tradle, which is actually just an exciting business that I wish was around about 17 years ago when my boy uh, entered the scene, because this is all about the circular economy and baby clothes. And if you've been a parent, um, or have talked to a parent, you've probably heard them complain all about the clothes that the kids uh, grow out of so quickly before they even get a chance to wear anything out. Well, Tradle is going to solve a lot of those problems and make sure that we're living a much more sustainable lifestyle. The opposite of fast fashion, right, Blythe? That's it, exactly. <laughs> hey, awesome. Well, we're going to get into that more, but welcome to the show. And to start off with, I'd love for you to uh, tell us, tell the audience what you think three key things are that every entrepreneur should know. So first off, just be ready for the roller coaster. The highs and lows are as described by every entrepreneur before me. So I'm not really saying anything new, but um, <clears throat> every day you'll, you'll feel like you're riding um, the highest cloud and also in the deepest hole. So just be ready for those emotional uh, ups and downs. Um, the second thing, I think it's really great, again, just to get started as soon as possible. You'll learn so much by doing more so than reading or going to school sometimes. Um, and so, yeah, just, just get started. Uh, ideally, spending as little money as possible on the business. And then third, really try at that same time to find people who can guide you along the way to where you think you want to go. Um, so advisors, mentors, um, use and leverage the amazing ecosystem uh, for startups and, and businesses here in Canada. <clears throat> I mean, I've been part of the Waterloo ecosystem. Toronto's incredible. Vancouver, just amazing. And, and I mean, it's happening across the country. So I'm really um, impressed with, you know, the Canadian culture um, embracing this, entrepreneurship and you know this change mentality and, and so yeah it's, it's been really great to see and take advantage of all the help that's out there yeah it definitely seems like you know we're kind of I would call them kind of the golden age of entrepreneurialism and 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 startup support and the ecosystems like you said every major center across Canada even some of the smaller ones have these ecosystems that are springing up around the entrepreneurs that are within those communities. And so it's really exciting. And so you mentioned having some experience out in Ontario, you're currently located in Vancouver, as I understand it. And so you're seeing the same thing there. I'm in Edmonton and Calgary, just down the road. I, I, there's just so many exciting things that are happening in all these communities. So it's really, really cool to see it it happen and really foster so many incredible opportunities for entrepreneurs. And, and I'd love for you to just maybe speak to that a little bit right now um, in terms of your business, your experience right now with Tradle. Um, what have you experienced from that ecosystem in terms of the support? What form did that come in? Um, how have you been able to tap into that? Yeah. So um <clears throat> I went to school at, in Waterloo and they were, I guess, some early adopters in this entrepreneurial mindset. So it was really great to have a foundational experience there. Um, it was going through undergrad at the time where RIM was exploding. And <clears throat> so it was pretty cool to see that. 
uh, and then the accelerators and the startup programs that Waterloo was fostering and growing, um, Velocity, <clears throat> all sorts of things at Waterloo. And then, yeah, just to, as I moved across the country, I luckily got to see, hey, this is being adopted everywhere. And, you know, for example, I just had a really great experience with Foresight, the clean tech accelerator based here in Burnaby, but now they've got, you know, across Canada program, thanks in part to, you know, COVID because you can really um, use the internet to um, get a hold of anybody, no matter where they are in Canada. And so, you know, Spring, the activator here, Spring Activator here in BC has just been incredible. And again, they're going to small town, you know, British Columbia to start up these challenges and, and whatnot. So um, even though you might not be in a big downtown area, I think the startup ecosystem is spreading to, to all parts, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. So, well, now tell me a little bit about Tradle. What is it that you're trying to solve there? What problem does Tradle ad address then? I, I alluded to a little bit of it at the start, but you're going to be able to go a lot deeper here now. Yeah, so at the very high level, we want to make parenting really easy. Um, for those new or expecting parents that have kids that quickly outgrow clothes. And so instead of buying clothes, we want them to have super high quality stuff um, with the convenience of being able to return them and not worry about where they go after they no longer need them. So we want to um, keep clothes in circulation for as long as possible, reducing the need to always be making more and more and more clothes. So on one side, we're helping the parents to have a really convenient clothing system, um, you know, already knowing full well that the hand-me-down support and, and so on is just phenomenal. So this was just a really um, great place to start to understand the circular model, where we can also help brands to keep their clothes in circulation for as long as possible and to really encourage the opposite of fast fashion, which is sustainable circular designs where products are durable and last for a really long time. So, yeah. And, and so fast fashion, I mean, has been driven a lot by, you know, consumers wanting to always be updating their, their clothes, but also at the same time, I think it's been driven a lot by the manufacturers on their side because they're trying to continually sell more and more stuff. Right. So there's there's a little bit of a of a challenge there, I think, for manufacturers in some sense when they're producing. Like there, there's a lack of incentive, I guess, to produce something sometimes that's going to be durable and long lasting, uh, because it doesn't benefit them when selling a second piece, right? So how are you addressing that when you're with the manufacturers with this model that you're presenting to them? Are, are they excited about it? Um, do they see some really good opportunities or or is it more the cold shoulder because it's like, well, you know, the model we have right now is working for us. It's a bit of both, to be honest, but those brands that get it, get it, right? They understand that their hard effort in designing, you know, quality stuff and having somebody like Tradle to then track and monitor their clothes for the entire life cycle to know that six, seven, 10 families have used this jacket or these pair of pants you know, um, is information and data on their own product that they've never had before because yeah. the sales model, like you said, incentivizes for more sales, more sales, more sales without really having a good, you know, return system or reuse system in play. Um, the resale industry is exploding. Rental has picked up quite a bit. 
Um, but I think it goes even beyond that where um, a system like Tradle is coming along to really have a subscription model where it's incentivizing everyone to keep these clothes in circulation for as long as possible. Yeah, and so you touched on the um, uh, the rental model is one that is starting to gain a little bit of steam in the clothing side. How is this different than a rental model? It really is a hybrid rental model. Rentals, I think people have this mindset where it's for a fixed period of time, where here it's kind of very flexible. Um, so yeah, we're just um, trying to, and I think rental has a bit of an unfortunate um, stigma against it. And so we're, we're, we're not really sure how to categorize this new, um, this new system, this new model. Um, so if you have any ideas for names, uh, <laughs> category <laughs> creation, I really love the idea of clothes as a service. And yeah. so the product as a service, it's like subscription software, right? Software as a service, it's just exploded. It's the only way to have um, anything these days through a subscription. And so I really think in a circular, sustainable economy, um, that is going to be the, the future of everything. So um yeah, we're moving towards uh, a model where you can have the clothes for as long as you want or as little as you want. You know, you're paying a monthly fee uh, to have access to all these amazing brands and clothes and then no hassle. You just kind of return them as needed. So, yeah. Yeah. And I and I know you're in the earlier days. You're you're three years into the business right now, still uh, kind of trying to figure out exactly what the model is going to look like or how to evolve the model. But your long-term goal that you mentioned to me before we hit the record button was one in which it's going to be more of almost like a revenue share. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how the business model, I guess, uh, is going to be set up for Tradle? Yeah. So we've been, as I mentioned, buying the clothes to really experiment and understand how this whole thing works um, to carry all the risks ourselves, um, But that is actually quite capital intensive, buying this inventory, yeah. renting it out. And once these, if these clothes are really durable, we, the rental body makes all the money. So we have all the risk, but all the, the upside reward for being able to circulate clothes you know, as long as possible. Um, I personally believe to transition from a linear economy to a circular economy, the entire system needs to have that financial incentive um, where we're all aligned in designing and taking the same kind of risk and sharing in the reward for a product that lasts as long as possible. Yeah. And so this revenue share model ideally is one where, you know, the longer the product lasts, the longer the brand and the manufacturer and the fabric supplier and even the farmer, you know, is making. Um, so that they're all in on the upside of a product that lasts a long time <clears throat> and not losing on the downside of not needing to create more products. Yeah. Right? And that's the problem that the world is in right now. If everybody lived like a North American or a Canadian, we'd need five similar planet Earths in order to have the resources that we're currently consuming. So we need to rapidly descale the amount of uh, stuff we're consuming while trying to be equitable about, you know, everybody you know, uh, winning in this, in this transition, that's fundamental. 
Yeah, and I I think it's it's just a brilliant idea that you have here. I, I really truly do because I I'd mentioned this again off off uh, air before we hit the record button. Just that that was one of the huge frustrations that I had when our son came along. You know, seventeen years ago was you know, all of the the clothes that he was wearing for a month, maybe in some cases that was it, and he was outgrowing it, and so it really didn't create much of an incentive for you to buy, you know, really good quality uh, expense and and therefore a little more expensive clothing because it was just like, well, it was going to be, he was going to be out of it anyway. So you really did as parents anyway of the, when they were fairly young, um, it just ended up being kind of pushing you down into this fast fashion, cheap clothing kind of scenario and uh, like you said, just completely opposite to what my values are and what I think a lot of parents' values actually are. And so the sustainable model that we all want to be part of, was it's just inherently kind of broken because our kids are growing out of it too quickly. So I, I love that this is a model that could potentially fix that. And I think the only way to do that, because of like what we said at the outset around the manufacturers not having the incentive to uh, create very durable product is you have to have that trickle down to them as well. And your model is solving that. So that's fantastic. I think you're right on the money here. Yeah. Thanks. It's been a long time coming and, and I, you know, the circular economy is pretty new 10 years ago. You know, it was just starting. You're just starting to hear um, the vernacular and, you know, 15 yeah. years ago when I was in school, nobody was really talking about it. It was sustainability that, sustainability this, but there wasn't really a financial incentive. And so I don't know that this is a kind of an exciting time, not only to be an entrepreneur, but to be involved in the circular economy and, and really, you know, there's no more crucial time. I don't think than ever before to really get behind um, a system that is ideally going to be sustainable. Yeah. So now the value proposition, I'm going to have to ask you this. How does it differ from, I remember uh, my wife, she would go out to the different uh, tots swap meets and stuff like that. Right. And so, so it was basically an exchange that was happening within the community center down the, down the block didn't happen you know, on a monthly basis, it happened in an infrequent basis, I think. Um, but that that was that circular economy was kind of happening at the community level. You're taking this much broader. So what's the the value proposition there over what some parents have been doing in the hand-me-down economy and all that? Yeah, yeah, which is great. And I don't by any means want to um, take away from that community collaboration that already exists and and the socializing between parents which is phenomenal and and so what we're just trying to do is make it a little bit more efficient um and at the same time have a tracking system for the brands to know and also kind of share in that responsibility of their products over time so that they can be repaired and we do know how long the zippers last and where the buttons are falling off over time and to make that product knowledge way more um, meaningful. So, yeah, I mean, eventually products right now, after parents get them, come back to us. But in the future, you know, we want to model that existing, you know, social interaction that happens where, you know, this onesie, that's a trail onesie. Well, a parent can scan the barcode that's on it, and now it can be part of their account. And so we don't want to take away from that. We want to build on top of it, but just be able to help 
monitor the quality of, of that product over its entire life cycle. So, yeah. Yeah. And to the parent, I would imagine the value proposition too, is just the scale. You're, you're going to have access to so many more uh, brands and, and, and different types of clothing and, and so on. Right. So that scale is much greater. And then also the convenience because those swap meets are happening once, you know, a fall or spring or whatever. It's not the, the frequency that you need. Your child is, has already moved out of the clothes that they currently have. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, totally. So like if I did want to, as a startup pitch, really give you a better value proposition, um, it's all about the convenience of just peace of mind, having yep. clothes when you need them, giving them away so you're not overwhelmed with stuff that piles up in your home, yep. um, as well as the affordability. So getting a product and using it for three months is actually 70% cheaper than buying some of these high quality products new. Yep. And so your access to really high quality stuff is is much more affordable. And then the sustainability piece, knowing, you know, you don't need 74 different onesies in your home. You can have <laughs> 20, you know, of that mix and match with other stuff. And so helping to make that sustainability piece, like you said, just easier for parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's ease for sure. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, just from a data play that you've got in, in, in motion there too, for the manufacturer. I think that's a really interesting angle too. Now let's head back into the entrepreneurial journey then. So you've been at this for three years. If you were to be able to, you know, pen yourself a letter and send it back three years in time, what would you include in that letter? It would contain a lot of what I said at the top of the show, the three things, um, one about just starting early, getting out there. Uh, in my case, I had zero exposure to the fashion industry, so it would have been wise to maybe get some, get a job in in the space and help to pay for the learning that I've, you know, slowly been going through just on my own as an outsider. <clears throat> uh, and along the way, you could, ha- I could have found a whole bunch of people uh, very knowledgeable about the industry and advisors, mentors. Um, to really take this concept of a circular system and, and how would it best be applied in the fashion industry? Um, and what else? Um, and that's all the two things. Oh, and <clears throat> the importance of, you know, not only advisors, but people, and you kind of do this in parallel, just building a team, some finding people that fill different voids of that ideal founder team to, to do this um, together and not go it alone like I kind of have which has been quite quite a struggle and then throughout COVID like the isolation you know it's it's uh, it's been pretty lonely at times so I'm super grateful for you know having gone through this experience having learned it I've now got an amazing um, executive team I have some incredible people that have stuck with me kind of freelancing contract work along the way Um, so yeah it's just really been great to learn the importance of, uh, yeah, just having the right people early on. Now, one of the things that you did mention at the beginning too, in those three things that every entrepreneur needs to know was, was just be prepared for that roller coaster of emotion and, and challenge and everything else, the ups and the downs. And uh, I'm just really curious, you as a, as an entrepreneur, how is it that you handle that roller coaster? (laughs) I wish I wish I had something positive to say here, but I really did not <laughs> handle it very well. Um, <clears throat> uh, luckily, I had a ton of support and 
whether it's from you know uh, family, friends. Um, so just reaching out to them when when times were tough were uh, was was you know super important. Um, and then celebrating the wins too, I think is is great. Whether they're really small um, or the big wins, <clears throat> I think is is key to have as a routine. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I wish, and this is me just being naturally hard on myself to not have learned this faster, not incorporated a lot of things better. I mean, I think I have gotten a lot better, but, um, man, there's so many things I'd still love to be able to do better to manage the, the amplitude of the roller coaster. I mean, the roller coaster is fun. That's why we're all in this, but it'd be nice if the highs weren't as scary and, or the lows weren't as scary and the highs weren't as uh, adrenaline filled. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's one of those things, right. That uh, you, especially what you said at one point here already is just, you got to get in there and and do it because that's the way you're going to learn. And, and there's, there isn't any, I think, substitute for that. Having a good advisor group around you, like you said, can really help in a lot of that regard, but still at the same time, it's, it's your own journey. You kind of have to have to live through some of that stuff. And so if you can build a team around you, I I think the roller coaster is always going to be there regardless though. So uh, definitely, uh, definitely the ups and downs of entrepreneurship regardless is going to be an issue. We all have to find ways to deal with. Um, I'm curious, you know, like you said, the, there's some things that it sounded like that maybe you would have changed or done differently. Um, so if you could go back in time and 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 do some things differently, what would be those things that you wish that you could have a do-over, a mulligan, so to speak, on? Um, so, yeah. Um, starting earlier, building a team earlier, <laughs> just uh learning faster i think and that's again just part of the the experience i mean like you said i mean evolution progress it it changes the only constant and so if you embrace that change and fail through learning it's not really failing and so just to have a mindset that was more receptive to um faster iterations you know and and so i that's not naturally me i'm actually quite uh um overly cautious sometimes i think that's why it's been a little bit of a slower journey to get to where we are right now um so really iterating faster is i think something that i wish i'd done differently yeah yeah it's all about the iterations i and that's actually one of the things that i really preach with our clients is um you know the don't spend a lot of time building out like a super in-depth strategy and, and plan and stuff. Take things in sprints because things change so much. I mean, and we really experienced this through COVID, right? I mean, that just upended everybody's strategic plan or business plan that was out there. But the key to it is, is doing shorter sprints, seeing what's working, do more of that, less of the things that aren't working and just iterating off of that and trying to make those improvements. Because when you can compound those improvements, you know, month over month or quarter over quarter or whatever, they really start to have 
real significant impact on your bottom line because it all compounds. It's that compounding effect. And so it's a beautiful thing if you can do it right and do it well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it has to be part of the culture and, and being me being one of the first in, like, I think I need to learn this before, you know, I can expect everybody else to, but it's one of those things that I think you're absolutely right. It needs to be a core principle in any business that expects to survive, let alone, you know, thrive. So yeah. So Blythe, like, like on that, then, like when you talk about it needs to be part of the culture and you've now learned that lesson, have you been able to embed it into the culture now, or is that still at that point where you're, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of getting through it yourself. And so it hasn't been really adopted yet widely. Yeah. It hasn't really been adopted yet. Um, we're at a, an, a, a plateau in terms of like what we can do with what we have right now. So we are fundraising uh, in order to take this to the next level and, you know, hire the people that we need. And so, um, yeah, it really hasn't been used. Um, we have core values and, and so on and so forth, but I think it really takes some time to start implementing and, and living by those values. Um, so, yeah, I can't say we are at that stage yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, right? So any plans like, or, or can you share with us any other plans you have in trying to incorporate that into the culture more than is there, is there something that you've thought that step out yet as to how to address that, I guess? And Yeah. And so look at where we want to, I, I think the, the approach is to look at every project as a work in project. Uh, Mm-hmm. where it's this is version 1.0 next week it's going to be version 1.1 when we launch it it'll be version 2.0 and then therefore 2.2 and so constant iterations that we're tracking that we're monitoring and that every project is in of itself an experiment right yeah. and so you can thomas edison you know you didn't fail ten thousand times i, I, I learned ten thousand ways of not doing something and so not how to do something (laughs) and so look at every project and every as an experiment so that we're not afraid of failing or making mistakes but actually learning from because that's that's how we said progress is made right so yeah i think that's the approach well and you were using that software as a service uh model as a reference point earlier on and so what i'm what I'm hearing as well is this iteration process is very much that taking a page out of that software business um, technology business play as well, because they do that. They, and they do that extremely well. There's those businesses start out with a, with a product that is nowhere close to being what it's going to be. And they know that and they accept that. Um, But it's funny when we have product-based businesses or other type service-based businesses and whatnot, we feel that we have to have this refined model or refined product or offering uh, and that uh, we're kind of abandoning things if we're changing along the way, which is just, it's, it's really quite shocking that we actually even carry that thinking with us. Um, so it's great that you're pulling those pages out of those other st- uh, startup models as well. Um, I, I'm curious, what is uh, how, what does success look like to you? Like, how would you define success? I've been thinking about this a lot because, <clears throat> well, it's been quite the journey for this last little while. And so um, what would success at this next stage look like? <clears throat> and the more I think about it, the more success in life is just the quality of relationships that you have. Mm. And so as this ideally ecosystem for the circular economy, we have relationships with our brand partners, 
We have relationships with our members. We have relationships with our investors. Uh, ideally, the, the repair, fulfillment, you know, there's so many people that will be touching this new, this new economy that, um, you know, um, we're going to have to make it work for everyone. And so I think success, whether the business um, survives or not, it's just being able to take what we've learned, have a good relationship with people, and then, you know, keep, keep trying, keep, keep pushing this forward. Yeah. Um, and, and you can't do that without having left a relationship in, in good standing. Yeah. And, and, and that's where the impact comes from, right? It's all those, all those great relationships that just kind of, it's that network effect. It just spiders out, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. um, well said. So now if somebody wanted to uh, connect with, with Tradle um, or connect with you directly, what, what's the best way to reach out, especially if they have kids who have clothes uh, that they're getting tired of, going through month after month, or if they have a family member or a friend who's just had some, uh, had a baby or something who also could use the service. What's the best way to find you guys? Yeah, just check us out at uh, tradle.ca. So cradle, but with a T and, uh, or Blythe at tradle.ca. And um, yeah, uh, we're on Instagram. Um, and uh, where we haven't been doing much marketing because customers keep finding us and so our bottleneck right now is inventory and so um mm. we're also raising money and uh so if there are any investors out there that would love to be a part of this exciting journey uh to continue sharing this vision and and uh this this optimism that that exists for finally achieving something sustainable in terms of a, an economy um uh, yeah just uh, would love to connect so blythe at trail.ca yeah. And so I, I'm just going to double down on that because uh, for the investors who are listening, make sure you picked up on what he just said in terms of they're not having any trouble getting customers. This is a model that all us parents have wanted to see uh, around for a long time. And so obviously there's lots of opportunity there to invest and, and help this thing grow. So I definitely encourage you. So it's Blythe over at tradle.ca or com, did you say? .ca. 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 Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time today to share your story and and share a little bit about what you're doing there. And and thank you as well for the work that you're doing to create a much more sustainable environment for all of us to live in. So um, it was great to have you on the show, Blythe. It's been my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And, and thank you for all the amazing work you guys are doing too. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And for those of you who enjoyed this episode, you can check out our archives over at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And of course, you can listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Just search Amplify Your Business and you're going to find us there. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. Bye.